Thank you for tuning in to today's TLDR episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and chief evangelist for Postman, Kim Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore specific topics from the world of APIs, but looking at it through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have Maxim Benet, Senior Developer Advocate at MongoDB. Maxim shared his journey with me becoming a developer advocate with MongoDB and what the modern database stack looks like behind the web and mobile applications that we all depend on. Let's start with the basics. Who are you and, and what do you do? Thanks for having me on your on this podcast. That's really uh, really an honor to be here and to be noticed, you know, and to be on the Postman podcast. And uh, so I'm Maxime Bonnier. I'm a developer advocate based in Paris uh, in MongoDB. Uh, so I work directly for MongoDB, the, the database, uh, you know, company. I'm a DevRel, so I build a lot of content for the community. I take care of the community. I try to solve their problems, you know, on the community forum, for example. I publish blog posts. I occasionally participate into podcasts or I do YouTube content or live content as well on Twitch. And also my main role is doing conferences. So I send also a lot of CFPs. Uh, to a bunch of conferences and then of course i go there usually in person if i can or you know with covid uh, sometimes it's online and i try to deliver those you know afterwards so what what, what got you into devrel that's a good question I, I actually like it was kind of an accident right i guess uh, uh, initially i was a consultant i was working for zenica which is a consulting company based in paris so you know working for clients etc etc the usual consulting job, right? And uh, this company also happens to be a training center. So that's where I actually started to become a trainer and, you know, upgraded my skill, you know, to talk in public, present things, explain, build up some pedagogy skills, et cetera, et cetera. And I learned about Java, about MongoDB. I became an official trainer and I got interested as well in the meetup uh, in Paris. And I took the lead actually of the MongoDB meetup in Paris. I felt like that there just wasn't enough, you know, so I became a leader and then I was running the meetup for a couple of years. And that's how I met my boss, basically, uh, Joe Drumgoal. And uh, he just came to me, he was like, well, you know, like you do that for free. And the MongoDB meetup in Paris, it's like one of the most successful one, you know, in the world right now. And and you're not even an employee of us, right? You just do that for free. That's, that's amazing, you know? So, so that's how we, we started to talk. And it was like, you know, we can pay you for that. It was like, really? <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's how I came in. Like, yeah, I always want to try to share with, with other folks how how we got into the industry because developer relations is, is a, a really growing area. And I, I always trying to encourage people to, to join and, and participate. So I think taking leadership in, in your local meetup is a good way to do it because meetups are kind of, well, I mean, before COVID and, and hopefully again here uh, after COVID uh, are kind of central to how we do what we do and connect and networking and help each other, as well as all the other things you talked about, podcasts and blog posts and, and other things. When you do your work, when, you know, we as developer relations, we tend to focus around a handful of technologies, tools, platforms. What what do you focus on when you're doing developer relations? I mean, MongoDB, but is there a special part of Mongo or database uh, aspect that you focus on? So it depends because uh, the team expanded. So like if you 
ask me the same question four years ago, it would be a different answer because it was just me and my boss basically covering all Europe at the time. Uh, no, in Europe, we are like a team of 10 people and probably like double of that, you know, in the US now, about 30 total, I guess, in the team. We developed some specific some specific uh, areas, right? So, for example, one of my colleagues, Mike Lean, is working on our podcast, for example, for the, he's working exclusively almost on the uh, MongoDB podcast, for example. So for me, I'm more doing conferences. I'm doing uh, content on the blog. Uh, I'm doing Twitch Live, for example, which is not uh, everybody doing that in the team. So we develop some, you know, specific areas where we want to focus more and goes by affinity, right? It's, it's kind of, uh, it's not imposed on anybody, but it's, you know, Mike Lean just like doing podcasts. He, he's like a, uh, sound geek, I would say in the team. So, you know, he's all, uh, all about this. So yeah, I would say that's, that's where, you know, naturally he, he wanted to work more. And for the MongoDB side, what we talk about also depends on what we like. Uh, for example, I'm more backend person. So, uh, usually I'm more working around the different languages like Java and Python for my part. Some other people are focusing on C sharp or Node.js and other languages, for example, that can, you know, connect easily with MongoDB. Recently, I was also in the team called the Realm team, which is a MongoDB uh, backend service, the serverless backend service that MongoDB offers on top of MongoDB Atlas. And uh, so I was focusing mostly on that area in MongoDB Realm, but now I just changed team actually. So I'm covering more the whole MongoDB uh, platform actually. So I can really blog or talk or present anything that's related to MongoDB. So, so I'm, a, I'm an old database person. I've been doing databases since the 1980s um, for a long time. And I'm big on relational databases. And then I, and then I uh, learned a lot about the, the, the NoSQL no kind, of, kind of world. What, what's the current state of, of, of databases and, and what does it power? I mean, I, mean, I know web and, and mobile, but what, what are the, the specific features for or capabilities that support single page applications, mobile devices, like what are the benefits beyond just data storage these days? Well, the, the main benefit of MongoDB is the fact that we don't store data like SQL, you know, in tabular, you know, ways. And the schema design is very different. So uh, usually when you move from SQL to MongoDB, you have to rethink the, the whole schema design and you have to redesign completely the way you store your data. Usually when you do a single page application, it means that behind that you have one query at least that's going to run, you know, to the database, fetch some data and then build the page, right? And usually in SQL, it means that it's not one query, but it's actually like a bunch of queries that's going to go do some select, you know, on a few tables, or it's a giant query that's going to rely on select and then join, 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 because you have to actually travel through multiple tables to fetch all the data you need. But in MongoDB, we try to change the perspective and store all the data that lives together, that needs to be presented together in just one single collection, right? Well, we try to store basically object that makes sense for you as a developer or for the user as a person, right? So for example, if you manipulate like person and contract and these kind of things, you're going to find exactly the same object, you know, mapped from, I'm going to talk in Java for, you know, your POJOs, you know, or, you know, equivalent, you know, like kind of the mapping uh, layer on your application. So those objects that you manipulate in your code, that's going to be mapped, you know, one-to-one -one almost uh, in the MongoDB database in the end, right? 
Uh, in SQL, you would have usually to chop down all those tables, or, you know, all those piece of object, you know, you would have to chop them down into uh, tables because, you know, you can store arrays, for example, and you can store like multiple addresses. So you need to do a joint table, et cetera, et cetera. So all that layer of complexity, usually you can remove that in MongoDB and just store everything together. And basically the data that needs to be accessed together uh, needs to be in one single collection, one single document. That's usually how we try to build that. And because you do that, then it's more efficient query-wise or for the indexes, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes the whole thing more performant and more efficient. So it's really tailored for the, the application, how I'm trying to deliver this information and use the information in the application rather than just a massive database for database sake. Yes. And it's not only that, like the, the whole, well, like if we go back to the root, you know, of why NoSQL exist, you know, and why they started to exist. Initially, they tried to offer a different solution that SQL could not fulfill, right? And so basically the, the main problem of SQL databases in general is that they don't scale well, right? They were designed like in the 70s or 80s now, so like 40 years ago now. And at the time, internet was barely a thing. So they, they had no idea that, you know, they would serve, you know, those kind of massive systems that we have today, like Netflix, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, right? This was like not even a dream, you know, at the time. So they were not designed, you know, in that perspective in mind. While MongoDB is now like 12 years old, I think, maybe 13 now. This was created in with that in perspective, right? The web 2.0 or 3.0, whatever you want to call it. But uh, this was designed with this in mind. So for example, when they created NoSQL, they dropped everything that was preventing uh, SQL databases from scaling, like joins, for example, or ACID transactions. All those things, you know, were dropped in favor of scaling, right? So MongoDB was built first with scaling in mind, uh, with a replica set, the high availability, the sharding, so you can distribute your uh, workload on multiple uh, shards, and so multiple servers. Uh, so that's called a uh, uh, horizontal scaling, right? Versus vertical scaling that you usually, usually do in, uh, in the SQL work, right? So, and once the technology was proven to work and once, you know, we had the scaling basically in place and working correctly, after a few years, we started to redevelop actually those features like joins, uh, which in MongoDB is dollar lookup now, or we started to develop as well, like the ACID transactions, but now they exist in a distributed system, which is very different, right? So those features were added again, but later in time, right? They, they came as a second-hand feature, if you, if you see what I mean. Like, and it was only possible, I think, in this direction. That's why today databases like Oracle, MySQL, etc., they have issues to scale because they were not designed that way in the beginning. You know, they, they still have to develop scaling now, but with those pre-existing problems of, you know, ACID transactions and, and join and all those pre-existing features that are blocking them from really scaling correctly. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I can see, I mean, the web scale is definitely a different beast. And I can I can support in the fact that uh, 
vertical scaling of a, of massive databases is not easy and it's really really difficult to do and support a wide variety of use cases uh, that the web introduced and that's one of the reasons I switched to doing APIs is because I got tired of doing uh, that database work and and I enjoy APIs a lot more so you have this progression of of capabilities that are designed to support not just web scale, but the, the needs of, of web and mobile applications where you have have latency over networks, you have different levels of quality of networks, you have multiple devices. Like what 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 else does MongoDB kind of enable when it comes to that that type of world that we we operate in now? Yeah, so basically that also what you get basically for free. You know, once you enable the scaling and the sharding, uh, you get the the possibility to distribute your database across the world. And across, so we work with uh, AWS, GCP, and Azure on MongoDB Atlas. So you can create those clusters with a few clicks. You know, you can just select the regions where you want to deploy your database. And so you can distribute freely, you know, your database across the globe uh, to reduce the latency or solve the problem of uh, data governance, for example, with GDPR and, you know, uh, I don't remember, is it the Patriot Act or something like that in the U.S.? Uh, CC, for, you know, CCPA is in California is what driving it, so... Okay, I completely forgot the name, but uh, yeah, something like that. So, so uh, yeah, so GDPR equivalent things, you know, and uh, so you need to, you know, make sure that the data of some particular countries, you know, stay in certain countries. So uh, you have to deploy, you know, a particular cluster in that place or a shard at least and make sure that that data stays you know, in that country, for example. So that's basically what MongoDB offers, yeah. Forgot the, <laughs> the backbone of the question. That you get a lot of features like this from MongoDB, and and so that's just for the scaling part, right, and the distribution part. But MongoDB is a fully featured database, right? So basically, anything you can do with SQL today, you can do with MongoDB as well. Uh, like we have acid transactions, like I mentioned. Uh, recently, we added some uh, special time series collection, for example, to uh, to you know answer better. Like, have a better answer for people with time series uh, workloads. We have a lot of features, like I don't know where to start, but we have the aggregation pipeline, for example, that makes easy to uh, transform and reshape the data and serve it correctly to your users, for example. I'm just talking about MongoDB here, which is right the, the core database system that we have, right? But MongoDB Atlas is a fully-fledged data platform which enhances the whole experience for the user, right? So in MongoDB Atlas, you have like the monitoring, you have all the automation to upgrade or update or create new MongoDB clusters. You have all the monitoring in place and you have all the automated backup, for example. And you have also some other tools on the side that are actually very practical that it make your life a lot easier. Like for example, you have MongoDB charts, which permits you to build those nice uh, dashboard, uh, nice charts. You have also MongoDB Atlas data lake, which is a way to retire your data that is, you know, getting old in your uh, main hot MongoDB cluster. That is, of course, more expensive. You can now retire and archive data to AWS S3 buckets, for example. So it's a way to, you know, save money actually because if you are working every day with like three terabytes of data and one is completely cold data, uh, you can actually, you know, maybe reduce the size of your hot main cluster and put some data in the cold. Uh, AWS S3 storage, so you can save money, right? Because of course it's a lot, uh, a lot cheaper there. And on top of that, we have a feature called 
uh, federated queries, which is built in MongoDB uh, Atlas Data Lake, which actually allows you to send a query to the two data sources that you have now, because you have the hot and the cold data, and you can actually send a federated query that's going to be resolved you know, on both sides and then merge back you know, at the end. So it's com it can be completely transparent for you whether or not you are uh, querying cold or hot data, right? And that's super cool. Of course, it's going to be slower if you, you know, hit the cold data, but it's a way to make sure that all the data that you archive, you can actually still query them and use them and find value, you know, in that old data that can still be useful for, you know, reporting, for uh, building, you know, some some kind of pages on the side for marketing, maybe purposes or whatever. Yeah. So, for, so, so yeah. on the API front, you know, I'm... REST APIs are, are the most common approach to APIs, but really nowadays on top of databases, we're needing a whole spectrum of, we need GraphQL, we need, you mentioned Kafka, we need streaming. What sort of APIs does does Mongo enable these days? Well, you, you can build anything, uh, you, you can really build anything on top of MongoDB, but we built something that's called MongoDB Realm, uh, which was uh, the consequence of the acquisition of the Realm a company that we bought like two, maybe three years ago now. And we fully integrated the Realm tech in MongoDB Realm now. Uh, in MongoDB Realm, you, you can see that it as a serverless backend system that's living on top of MongoDB Atlas, right? MongoDB Atlas is where you deploy your clusters and where you store your data. So that's like kind of the data layer of your application. MongoDB Realm basically sits on top of MongoDB Atlas, and that's where you can build your backend system basically in that serverless environment. So for example, uh, you can host a GraphQL API with just a few clicks. You basically just enable it and you get an endpoint. Uh, you can also enable the authentication system and basically out of the, you know, in like five minutes, uh, you get a, a GraphQL endpoint uh, that you can use to build and connect your front-end system on top of that front-end system that you can also host directly in MongoDB Realm because there is a hosting uh, part. So you can also host the front-end, you know, for example, built in React or Vue.js or whatever. Uh, you can also host it completely in Realm. And so you can really like host the whole thing in MongoDB Realm if you like. And you can build the REST API as well. We have something called HTTPS uh, endpoints. And you can also build like REST APIs in there. That's actually what I used uh, in one of my recent projects, which we which we call the uh, Open Data COVID nineteen project, which we developed like about well two years ago, uh, yeah, about two years ago uh, into you know January twenty twenty, uh, really when the COVID uh, outbreak you know started. So we started to develop this project where we wanted to make the data about COVID available to everybody, and so uh, we are actually serving uh, freely. A REST, a REST and a GraphQL API that anybody can use, and they are actually using it. <laughs> it's actually uh, very, very successful at the moment. I don't have the numbers in mind, but uh, I have a few few thousand queries per hour running on the REST API, for example, uh, which is hosted by Realm. And uh, we are just serving this for free for the community, and they build, you know, whatever charts, whatever, you know, data they want to to provide. Can you share a little bit more about how, like, because I know there's quite a few data sources uh, available for COVID-19, but there's only a certain amount of good quality data sources. There's a, there's a handful of spots. So can you talk to me about how you aggregated that data and made it available via the database? 
the only one almost that existed at the time, so in January 2020, 2020 uh, was the John Hopkins University dataset. Uh, initially, it was provided in a very unpractical uh, Google uh, spreadsheet, uh, which was not really you know easy to work with, and we could not download it. So initially, it developed like a HTTP parser to just you know. <laughs> curl the whole page and then extract the data from the HTTP, H, uh, HTML page. It was kind of ridiculous. Uh, but then soon enough, they developed a CSV files, which I put into a GitHub repository, which was way easier to work with. And so what I'm doing actually now, like I developed this like at least 10 times now because I changed, you know, the way I, I interact with the data they provide, etc. cetera. Uh, so the way I'm working today with it is I work directly with the CSV files they provide in GitHub, I download everything every four hours. Uh, I have a Python script that runs on that data. Uh, they transform all those CSV files into proper MongoDB documents with a proper schema design. Like I said earlier, you know, the schema is very important. So if you want to have efficient queries or, you know, a well-designed and well-crafted REST API or GraphQL API on top of that, you need to work on the schema design first. So that's what I've done here. I transform the CSV files into like good MongoDB documents, like dates are represented in uh, ISO dates, for example, localization for the um, you know latitude and longitude that are represented as a geo-JSON uh, points, for example, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And once it is formatted correctly, I just use the MongoDB driver uh, of Python, which is called PyMongo, and I just Mongo uh, import everything. Like I do a, an insert many, I just insert the whole thing in MongoDB. Now it represents about like one gigabyte of data total because uh, like I have like uh, measurements, you know, for all the regions uh, in the world for each day. And regions is the vague term because sometimes it's uh, like in the US, for example, it's a county, uh, not, not the country, the county, right? So it's fairly small. And in other countries, like, for example, I don't know, like uh, Belgium, for example, I just have one point for the whole country, right? So uh, it really depends, you know, of which country we are talking about. So the region term is uh, not uh, not the same in each country. But uh, that's basically all the data I get. And I get one point for every day. And when you multiply this by now uh, more than two years, uh, that's what you get, right? So when you process that new data, is it important and does it switch it out with what's there already? Is that a live or is there some sort of switch that has to happen there? How does that work? Oh, yeah, that, that's a good question. It's actually a trick that I used. I, I would say a smart trick. I actually re-import, well, the problem first. The problem is uh, that John Hopkins University, they are also uh, applying uh, updates, sometimes backward in time, right? So uh, it's not a good idea uh, to just take the last day, you know, every day and just import the last day every day and increment, you know, on that. I could do that, right? But then uh, I would have some mistakes, uh, you know, in the past because sometimes I apply updates, you know, in the past because I just, you know, understand after 15 days that actually those 500 people in that hospital, they were actually not, you know, uh, dying from COVID, maybe they were just sick of something else. And so sometimes they apply those modifications backwards. So just to be safe and just to make sure that the whole data set that I'm importing is actually uh, uh, consistent and, and correct, I take the whole data set and re-import it entirely every four hours. I import that in temp collections. So it's just basically the same name of the collection with underscore temp at the end. 
And when the whole import is finished, the last line I have in my Python script is actually a rename collection trick. And when you rename a collection in MongoDB, it's actually an atomic operation. So I can basically do like Indiana Jones, you know, in the Lost Temple movie or whatever movie it is, you know, I just, you know, switch the statue, you know, uh, instantly and hope not to trigger the trap. But that's exactly what's happening actually in production. I just replace uh, in one atomic operation the collections that I have. And so from the API user standpoint or the GraphQL API user standpoint, uh, it's completely transparent for them and they just don't see the difference, right? As long as I serve the same data, almost, uh, that's completely the same. What they should notice every day is that there is a new date that's added, you know, every single day uh, overnight uh, the, for the previous day, of course, but they might also notice some uh, updates, you know, in the past because they applied some uh, some differences. And and also the uh, something we forgot to mention, but I'm just going back to my mind. Uh, you asked about the data source, you know, quality and, and where it comes from, et cetera, and why I chose John Hopkins University. Uh, basically, if you go to that repository from John Hopkins University and, and check all the data sources that they are aggregated and filtering and cleaning for me before I use the CSV files, the list is actually like super, super long. Like it's basically they use the, you know, uh, uh, healthcare services of all the countries or regions uh, to import all that data daily and they sort, clean, aggregate, do all the work that's required to provide those CSV files. So there is just no way for me on my own, because there is a whole squad working on this, right? There is no way for me to do better than that. So the data I'm serving is as good as it is, right? I, like there, I know there are mistakes, you know, in the data set. Like I know it's not 100% accurate. And when you draw the charts, you know, sometimes you can notice some silly numbers here and there, but that's as good as it is, right? I, I don't want to, well, I could fix, you know, the data myself and be like, yeah, this point is clearly wrong. Right? Like, like there is like plus 1000 Ks one day and then it just disappears the next day. There is something wrong, obviously, but I, I like, I don't want to do that because if I start doing this, you know, I start altering and starting taking somewhat care like taking the responsibility of what that I actually serve while right now it's like as bad as it is. And, and what that, that's the data that every, you know, journal, every newspaper is actually using today, you know, to follow the COVID numbers, et cetera. Like, uh, I think like if you, if you check like the real source that they are tracking today, I think it all go down in some, you know, in some direction, it finishes on the same point, which is, I think, uh, John Hopkins university. In yeah. Europe. Well, I really appreciate your time today. It's been been fun learning from you about MongoDB and 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 the, the realm of the database. Um, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I was super happy to be here. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, thanks for having me. That, that, that's it. And I'm super happy to be here. Yes. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to Maxim for stopping by. You can find more about MongoDB at mongodb.com, and Maxim is on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to the Breaking Changes podcast on postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes. I'm your host, Ken Lane. And until next time, cheers. 